that little land at the eastern end of the Mediterranean Sea has again grabbed the world's attention. The sons of Isaac and the sons of Ishmael are fighting, and it looks like there is no solution to this brother's feud. Where is all this bombing and bickering going to end? Is there a champion who can defeat the violence and cause the brothers to live in peace? Our study leader, Dave Wurtson, begins our lesson today titled, The Earth Destroyers, by summarizing the thoughts of Revelation from chapter 1 through chapter 10. If you're just joining us, this is the perfect place to come in on the discussion. Listen as Dave exposes the theme of Revelation and leads us through the seal and trumpet judgments of Revelation chapter 11. The basic fundamental reality of the book of Revelation is not hard for you to get. It is the manifestation. It's the disclosure. It's the unveiling of your Savior. If you don't understand anything else that you're reading through the book of Revelation, just ask Jesus to show you who he is. Cause him just to take off the blinders in your mind and just help you to be able to to just see him unveiled. And what we presented as the theme of the book is the unveiling of the world-conquering Christ. And the key verse is Revelation 1-7, which is the promise that this precious living Savior is coming. He's going to come back. Chapter 1, we start out with an introduction. And we're introduced to the theme of the book, which is the unveiling of the revelation of Jesus. We're introduced to John the Apostle. He's the author. We're introduced to the readers, and we're exposed to the literal first century readers, the seven churches in Asia, which were seven literal churches. And then we're also included in Revelation 1.5. We find out that the book was written to us, all the believers down through the ages. Then we have an outline verse, which presents to us the things which you have seen, And that is the vision of the exalted Christ. What John the Apostle sees at the conclusion of Revelation chapter 1 is what the theme of the book is all about. He sees Jesus as a great king, as a great priest, as a great prophet. He sees a vision of what Jesus is like today in the exaltation of heaven, but also in his glory moving among the churches. So Revelation 1 presents to us the thing which the prophet John has seen and the purpose of that that vision in the book is to unveil Christ. It's for us to be able to see who this incredible, powerful Jesus is that we're in love with. In the outline of Revelation 1.19, it says, we'll not look just at the things which you've seen, this vision of the exalted Christ, but we'll also be able to capture a vision of the way things are right now. What's going on in the church? And the book of Revelation presents the idea that there's a church age. That's Revelation 2 and 3. You see, I have a great big headline there. The things which are Revelation chapters 2 through 3. Those chapters are the chapters in Revelation that show you the way things have been for the last approximately 2,000 years. There are seven churches, and by the incredible inspiration of God, you get a kind of an overview of all the different kinds of struggles churches can have, all the different kinds of churches that you're going to come in contact with. And in the midst of it all, there's an incredible encouragement because the exalted Christ is walking through all those different churches with their failures, with their successes, with their joys and with their sorrows. And we learn that eventually these churches, the church, the bride of Christ, does bring glory to him. We have great challenges and you can read Revelation 2 and 3 
over and over again saying, Lord, show us the kind of a body of Christ. Show us the kind of a local church you want us to be. Now, when we get to Revelation chapter 4 and 5, we leave Jesus walking in the present age through the churches. We want to think of him touching our lives. We want to think of his spirit really convicting us. When we get to Revelation chapter 4, we go up into heaven with John the Apostle. John, in his visionary experience, is caught up and God begins to use very powerful imagery to show him what's going to happen primarily at the culmination of history. But in order for us to have the right perspective on what's going on in this cataclysmic crisis time of life, we need to get a vision of it from heaven's perspective. So Revelation chapter 4 introduces us to the worship of heaven, specifically focused on God the Father as our creator. Then Revelation 5 focuses us on God the Son as our redeemer. And it's very important if you have any questions about worship. Why do Christians sing? What do they worship? What do they express thanksgiving? Because that's what we're going to be doing with the heavenly angels forever and ever and ever. In incredible ways, with incredible music, with incredible beauty. And we get just a little taste of it when we do that with brothers and sisters here on planet Earth. And that's what Revelation 4 and 5 is about. It's underscoring the importance of entering in to the eternal heavenly worship. And in our body of Christ, we can begin to experience those little moments of eternity, those moments of grace, as we worship and really connect with God in our own worship together. Then we're introduced in Revelation 6, or chapter 8, verse 5, the seal judgments. And I've given those to you. And what they do is they introduce to us kind of a sequence through the book of Revelation. They introduce us to Antichrist, first of all, that begins the tribulation period, according to Revelation chapter 9. That's the false Christ that's talked about. And then we have what this... The secularization of planet Earth begins to produce. And you go walking through war. War produces famine. Famine produces disease. Disease produces an incredible crisis in a society. There's horrible martyrdoms and persecution against the church. The earth is shaken. And then we have this earthquake. And we have the introduction in chapter 7 of the 144,000, which breaks this, this kind of this crisis orientation, all these terrible real, uh, crises that are taking place. The ceiling of the 144,000 in chapter 7 kind of remind us again that in the midst of all this crisis... God still is going to have his people. In the midst of all this crisis, we can trust God to have a witness. And at the end of chapter 7, we have an incredible multitude that's in heaven praising the Lord. So chapter 7 is like a parenthesis kind of interrupting the flow of the seven seals. And it helps us to get a heavenly perspective again. In other words, God gets his kind of mucked and mire in all the crisis of planet Earth, and then he quietly kind of catapults us into heaven, and he shows us, but hey, wait a minute, I'm in control. I'm going to have my witnesses. I'm going to have the proclamation of the gospel, even during the tribulation period. Then we're introduced to the seventh seal at the end of chapter 7, and the seventh seal doesn't really have any content to it. In fact, there's just quiet in the heaven. It's such an awesome uh, presentation. And I believe that the seventh seal, it includes the seven trumpet judgments. So it creates what we call in music a very powerful crescendo. 
And we've studied together the, the different uh, seven trumpet judgments, and we go walking through there. And again, we're introduced to these seven trumpet judgments, which remind us, if we look at them, like the sea being destroyed and turned to blood, the rivers destroyed, uh, the locust plague, all this kind of stuff reminds us of the Egyptian plagues that Moses used under the inspiration and the authority of Yahweh to deliver the Old Testament people from their Old Testament slavery in Egypt. So the background of the trumpet judgments is the great mosaic deliverance of the children of Israel in the Old Testament. What God is promising at the end of time is there's going to be another exodus, another deliverance. Only this time, God's going to deliver specifically his chosen people, the nation of Israel, from their enslavement to this worldwide power. In the tribulation period, God's going to begin to really deal with the Jewish nation again. It's not just the Jewish people that will be saved. They'll have an incredible witness as they turn to Christ. And literally millions will begin to respond to the true Christ. And there's going to be a massive deliverance, even more powerful than the deliverance of the nation of Israel from Egypt, which is the greatest miracle in the Old Testament. If you'll have that in mind, you'll understand what God is doing during the trumpet judgments. It's just like the reenactment of the plagues that he used to bring the secular kingdom of Egypt to their knees. Now that brings us up to where we are in our, chap- in our study today is chapter 11. And chapter 11, the seventh tr- uh, trumpet, is going to give us an outline of the rest of the book. We're going to find as we go through chapter 11 that it's going to give us kind of a foreview, kind of an outline of the Antichrist we're going to be introduced to in chapter 13. It's going to give us a picture of this incredibly powerful worldwide system, which the scripture in Revelation calls Babylon, which is kind of the art symbol of the secular, uh, humanistic, prideful arrogance of man that stands against God. We're going to see the, 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 the ascendancy of this great Babylonian movement in Revelation chapter 17, and then we're going to see its destruction in Revelation 19. John's going to tell us in Revelation chapter 11 that there's going to be the judgment of the living and the dead and the reward of those who follow Christ. And that's an outline of Revelation 19. When Jesus comes back, he sets up his kingdom on earth at the beginning of Revelation chapter 20. And then the book of Revelation ends with the reward of those that have trusted Christ. And you're going to be included in that. If you've trusted in Christ, you're going to be raised again at the rapture, which I believe would take place just before we get to the things which shall be hereafter. When we taught you on the Church of Philadelphia, I gave you the reasons why I believe that the, that the rapture of God's church, of Christ's church, takes place before the tribulation period. So you're going to enter into the great reward, those great concluding sections of the book of Revelation, present to you what you're going to be enjoying forever and ever. But soberly, it also talks about the judgment of those who have destroyed the earth. And that's the great white throne judgment. Those that have turned away from Christ. And then the book ends with a great uh, eternal worship. And it closes with a conclusion that gives us a challenge to all of us to build our lives upon Christ. If there's an invitation for anyone that wants to come, to come and drink freely from the book of life. What you can do with that chart is you can use it to kind of put a visual image in your mind. If you'll think that through, you'll be able to take that chart. And if you read through the book of Revelation repeatedly, you'll be able to take one of your secular friends at work, maybe at lunch. And you'll be able to take them right through the book of revelation you'll be able to help them to be able to see how the book comes together and the basic thrust of the message and one of the things i want you to know that as i'm teaching you 
I'm very much aware we're from a lot of different backgrounds. Some of you were raised, you know, Assembly of God. Some of you were raised Presbyterian. Some of you were raised Roman Catholic. Some of you were raised, you know, uh, Episcopalian. Some of you were raised Baptist. And on and on it goes. I've been trying to really underscore in your thinking some things that I just know for sure are true from the book of Revelation. In other words, you can read the book of Revelation and you can start saying, well, the, you know, the horrible outbreak of war in Timor relates to this section of Ezekiel and, and the priests that are, that are getting together in the old section of Israel today and getting all the temple together. You know, that's what Ezekiel was talking about. And, and I can really whomp you up about that. The truth of the matter is, as I look back over a, a whole lifetime now almost because I was raised in this stuff of hearing men and, and women that would teach me and get me all excited about some of that stuff. And yet I can look at one thing after another where it turned out that wasn't at all what the scripture was talking about. And then that produces a disillusionment. It also then begins to cause us to close the book of Revelation and we're not going to read it anymore. So what I've been trying to help you to see is as you read this book and you think of it in terms of the unveiling of Jesus, and I've tried to be very honest with you about some of the things that we understand about the book and some of the things that we don't understand about it, but most of all I want you to see that there is incredible revelation of the power of Jesus and what he's ultimately going to do, that believers from all different traditions, if they just carefully read this book, they would find out that there's incredible agreement we can argue about timings and, and, and different figures in the book. But there's some incredibly powerful eternal truths that the secular world that you're living with in the business world, they don't believe it at all. And that those of us that have trusted Christ as our Savior, we really do believe that. And one of the things I want to move you to is that there's some great truths in this book that we need to be willing to live and die for. I challenge you to build your lives on these great truths. And Revelation 11, the seventh trumpet as it begins to sound, again enables us to catch our breath before we get into all that stuff about Antichrist in Revelation 13. In Revelation 11, it's like Jesus says, let me let you, give you a chance to catch your breath and let's look at the seventh trumpet and let's get our feet firmly on the ground of what's really going to happen in planet Earth. I can introduce you to the significance of the seventh trumpet if you look at it. In Revelation chapter 11, the issues raised that God's going to judge those who destroy the earth. Look what it says. It says in verse 18, the nations were angry. In Revelation chapter 11, verse 18. Because the wrath of God has come. And what it means by God's wrath is his righteous judgment against those that have hurt the innocent. Against those that have butchered, those that believe in the Son of God. Against those that have rejected the word of God. The book of Revelation is teaching us that, that the innocent and those that love Jesus are not going to be maligned and not going to be butchered and persecuted forever and ever. There's going to come a time when the wrath of God is going to make those things right. The time has come for judging of the dead, for rewarding your servants to prophets. And your saints and those who reverence your name, both small and great. So you're going to be rewarded. If you reverence the name of the Lord. Now look at the next line, because I believe it gives us the key for what the seventh trumpet wants us to understand. And for destroying those who destroy the earth. The book of Revelation is telling us that there are those that are destroying the earth. Those that are bringing this present planet down. How many of you in your conversation with friends, maybe some unbelieving friends this past week, how many of you have found your unbelieving friends saying, you know, hey, maybe this is, you know, kind of shaking this planet. Maybe this, these are signs of the end. Anybody had any conversation like that? Sure. 
In fact, we should have. Jesus says that in Matthew 24 that these are the beginning of birth pangs. I want you to know that believers from all different traditions can believe that. That this present world, when it shakes, like when an earthquake takes place, it's reminding us, you know, this world is not the way God really wants it to be. When you hear about the outbreak of war, this is the beginning of birth pangs. The book of Revelation, one of the major ideas that's telling us is that right now, God's kingdom will, his heart will, is not being exercised on planet Earth. The majority of human beings are not giving joyous thanksgiving to the king. You freely and willingly have chosen to exalt your king, to thank your king, to build your lives upon him. Well, God wants there to come a day when everybody on planet Earth does that. And those that are not willing to freely choose him are ultimately going to face his evaluation and his judgment because he is the king. He is the rightful ruler of planet Earth. And I want you to think really hard about that. You see, you live in a secular society that doesn't believe that. They believe that mankind can solve the problems of earthquakes. If we only do enough geological studies, if we can only do enough work with our United Nations, we'll be able to get Timor to settle down. We'll be able to get them to stop fighting in Rhodesia. I got news for you. We need to enter into that kind of stuff. If we look at ecological studies, the really root problem, the basic problem of who, what is destroying this planet. And the book of Revelation is going to show us that eventually this whole planet is going to be burned up. doesn't mean that we shouldn't take care of it now and that we should abuse it. In fact, as God's children, it's been given to us as we're supposed to administer it according to his will. But this book is telling us that eventually God's going to have to purge this planet. He's going to have to cleanse it. And we ask the question, why? And the book of Revelation goes deeper than any ecological study that you'll ever get into. And it says that what really destroys this planet is what's deep inside our heart. There's a malignancy. There's a horrible evil that's inside our heart. And that's what the book of Revelation is wrestling with. How does the Almighty God cleanse this planet of this arrogance where mankind struts itself and says, I ignore the king, I don't believe it's his land, it's going to be my land, I'm going to do my thing. What the book of Revelation shows you is what human arrogance, human pride, we can deal with everything ourselves through our technology, through our ingenuity, through our ability to cope with problems on planet Earth. What Revelation shows you is where that kind of arrogant thinking leads to. And I want my heart and I want your heart to resist that. So we turn to the sounding of the seventh trumpet. Look at it. The seventh trumpet sounds by the angel and there were loud voices in the heaven. In Revelation, when we had the, the sounding of the seventh seal, the opening of the seventh seal, there's quiet in the heavens as all of heaven listens to the prayers of the martyrs that have been destroyed. The conclusion of the seventh trumpet, though, instead of there being quiet, there's a loud, powerful praise because the seventh trumpet declares God's now going to begin to exercise his rule directly on planet Earth. He's saying no longer is he going to be the secret king. No longer is he going to be going just after the secret uh, commitment of the heart. Now people are going to start to see his omnipotent power really invading the history, invading kingdoms, invading this entire planet. And what Revelation chapter 11 does in the, in the de- Declaration of the Seventh Seal, it declares his victory right from the top. Look what it says. 
this loud voice is in the heaven. And whether these or these might be the four cherubim that stand close to the throne of God, they might be the whole heavenly host. Revelation doesn't really tell us only that they are just some incredible mass of angels, supernatural beings that are giving praise to God. Look what they say. We do know what they said. The kingdom of this world, it has become. The kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he will reign forever and ever. Anybody ever heard those words before? Now it's all going in your head. Remember, these are the incredible words of the Messiah. That stirring message. Well, where did Handel get that from? Where did it come from? Here it is. In the seventh trumpet, when it sounds, the angels declared the kingdom of this world. It has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. Some of the young people are really wrestling with the issue. How can our friends be shot? Where is God when that happens? That's a great question. I ask that over and over again. And all of you should ask that question. Where is God? You know, why has he allowed a maniac? Why has he allowed a man that has horrible hate in his heart just to begin to blow our friends away? And this is part of the answer that Revelation's saying. Revelation's saying, I'm not going to ignore the bad things that are happening on planet Earth. In fact, Revelation talks to you about believers that are martyred. It talks to you about horrible natural disasters that take place. Now, if heaven has to declare, as we move towards the conclusion of the book of of, of Revelation, the conclusion of the tribulation period, if Revelation has to declare the kingdom of this world, it has become the, the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. If the angels have to declare that, as we're moving towards the end of the book of Revelation, then what does that imply about planet Earth right now? It implies that there is a kingdom of this what? There's a kingdom of this world, and there's also, tell me, a kingdom of God. There's, everybody say it, there's a kingdom of this world, and there's a kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of this world like? It's madness. You know, people have been saying over and over again, well, the problem here is the person was insane. I want you to know that all of sin is insane. It's the basic reality. And and there is a mental illness where somebody chemically is imbalanced and they do things. But I want you to know that there's lots of people that are insane that don't do evil, hurtful things. In fact, some of the most gracious, some of the most gentle, some of the most uh, uh, loving, loving, affirming people I've ever been with have been those that have severe problems mentally. Sometimes I found out that they've had an incredible sensitivity into spiritual things. I want you to know that mental illness doesn't completely explain the horror of murderous evil. So don't believe someone that says, well, we we can understand this. This is what generated this, and we can get these profiles and everything. All that is helpful up to a point. But if you look at the pattern of violence, you're going to find out that there's a basic craziness underneath it. There's a basic insanity. That's the basic, you know, why. The Bible never really explains directly the origin of evil. There's a reason for that. Because the Bible doesn't want you to believe that through your own human ingenuity, you could solve the problem of evil. That's arrogant. That is the most presumptuous thing you can imagine, that you can really deal with the evil inside the human heart. And you're going to move into a society that's going to begin to say, we can control it chemically. Can you imagine a society that's going to control evil chemically? We're going to control it through government. Can you imagine a society that's going to control your evil within through government? You know what it's going to take to do that? All of you have been wrestling with the issues. We're wrestling with it now. 
What do you do in order to stop violence in the school? And you can feel the hunger. Man, we need to put guards at the door. We need to make sure that there's all kinds of metal detectors. What starts to happen to you, the free person? You see how your freedom begins to dissolve. Because the only thing that can really deal with evil within is the power of transformed lives within. The Bible is saying in the book of Revelation, there's a kingdom of this world where earthquakes take place. And the book of Romans chapter 8 tells it that that is not the perfect heart of God. That God doesn't desire for this planet just to convulse and just people to be destroyed. He's saying that the whole world has been influenced by our sin, your sin and mine. And what the book of Revelation is declaring is, don't despair. If you live in the kingdom of this world, there's another kingdom. It's the kingdom you pray for every time you pray the Lord's Prayer. Lord, thy thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The book of Revelation is now declaring as the seven trumpet sounds, there's going to come a day when God answers that prayer. And what Revelation chapter 11 does is herald the beginning of God's answer to that prayer. And I want you to see that because God is doing it, it's already as good as done. The angelic choirs of heaven say the kingdom of this world has now become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And I say, well, now, wait a minute, man, we've got chapter 13 with the Antichrist. We've got this whole world antagonism against you. We've got the battle of Armageddon. We've got everything coming in the book of Revelation. How can you angels ever say, man, it's over and done? Because I want you to know when God says it's over and done, it's over and done. When God says he wins, you're an idiot to keep fighting. When God says that he's going to rule, you're an idiot to resist him. And so am I. And that's the way God thinks. Remember what I've taught you all along, that God is above time. He can see the past. He can see the present. He can see the future. He sees it all at one shot. And that's why you'll have these statements in the word of God where God will say, it's over. And all over again, as we go through the book of Revelation, we have these statements. It's over. It's over. It's over. What God is telling you, listen, I stand above time. I know what's going to happen in the future just as well as what happened in the past. And I'm in control of it. So you better get down on your knees and respond to me because it's all over and done with. And it's insane to keep resisting that. That's the message of this worship. One of the things we need to do in our worship is to declare that we've won. And I want to assure you there will be tremendous power for you. There will be tremendous uh, divine infusion of his spirit in your life if you'll learn to do that. You see, this is, these are words of faith. For me to say, the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And Jesus is going to reign forever and ever. It takes faith to say that today. And there's tremendous healing that needs to flow based upon that truth. But the life of faith is to say, okay, God says it. And man, it looks to me like we're living in the midst of in, in a horrible kingdom, horrible warfare, horrible natural disasters. But I'm going I'm to believe and I'm going to declare that my heavenly daddy, the great king of the universe, is going to affect his heart will, which is good and perfect and happy and fulfilled forever and ever. I'm going to affirm that right now. Now, you've got to decide that. I want you to know that believers in 95 AD heard John, write, or they probably didn't hear him, they read it in a parchment scroll. And the Domitian, this great Roman emperor, is declaring they all need to worship him. And if they don't, they're going to lose their job. If they don't bow down before him, they're not, going to be able to, they're not going to be able to even live. Some of them are going to lose their lives. They had to make a decision. Am I going to believe what the Apostle John wrote to us? Or are we going to follow the Roman Empire? That's what the, that's what the choice was in the first century. And precious, normal, everyday believers just like you 
by the thousands, read the book of Revelation. They started copying it over and over again. This is what it's about. And they read this, the kingdom of this world. It has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. They didn't know that Christianity would just go into a little island where some wild barbarians were living that weren't, weren't even domesticated in England. They didn't know the gospel would transform that land. They didn't know that the gospel was going to go into Scandinavian countries in the 7th and 800s and take Nordic wild men that just went through Europe butchering people. They didn't know that the story of the gospel was going to reach the Norwegian countries and Sweden and all the Denmark and that whole area and totally transform that area. You know, they didn't know anything about modern missions where in the 20th century the gospel would explode all over the world. And what began the kind of being a, a, almost a minority faith that was even losing its power in Europe, they had no idea that it was going to explode through modern missions and communication, and it was going to become a worldwide faith where there were going to be millions of believers in Africa and millions of believers in China. They had no idea that there's going to be this incredible ingathering. Just like Jesus said, it's like the net has been cast and the fish are just jumping into the net by the millions. They didn't know any of that. All they knew was they were a little tiny persecuted minority in the middle of what's now modern Turkey. And they've received this letter. And I love these brothers and sisters for doing this. And I want to challenge you to make the same decision. By some miracle of God's grace, these precious people, just like you, said, our apostle John said that we're living in the kingdom of this world. And he's given us this incredible book that shows us where the kingdom of this world is eventually going to end up. Where this arrogance and this, and this deceitfulness, everyone knew that Domitian wasn't God. Everyone knew that. Man, it was stupid to think of a, of a human being being God. But, you know, that's all there is, so let's do it. Pragmatism. Everybody knew that was a farce. But aren't you glad that there were some simple people just like you that says, man, there's a God. And when John told us how he gave his son, and he died on the cross for us, and he rose again, and we're going to go for broke. We're going to believe in that. And they grabbed a hold of this truth, and it gave them courage. It gave them courage to go out throughout their city, throughout Ephesus and Smyrna and Philadelphia and these towns. It gave them courage to go out there and really live for this stuff. That's what I want you to do. That's what I, that's what I want to do. It's time for believers to realize that, man, this is life and death issues. This is the real thing. This is really important. Do I believe that the kingdom of this world is eventually going to be invaded by the kingdom of God and then things are going to be different? And Jesus, our Savior, is going to reign forever and ever and ever. The 24 elders, remember we learned that they're the 24 kind of, you know, the, the administrative vice presidents of heaven, you might say. They're the angelic superstars that represent us. The 12, part of them probably represent the 12 tribes of Israel. The other side represents the 12 apostles, which represents the church. And here's this heavenly core, and they give kind of the antiphonal praise. They were seated on their throne before God, but look what they do. They don't stay seated very long. They fell on their face and they worship God. Some of, you that are, some of you that are really discouraged about what's going on in the world, you've heard one bad news report after another. You say, Dave, how should I respond to that? I would really encourage you to literally do this. Just get down on your face when you're all alone in your bedroom or in your study. Just get down on your knees and worship. Just say, God, just pour out your heart to God. Say, God, I don't understand these earthquakes. I don't understand the bloodshed. I'm scared for my kids. I'm scared for my mom and dad. I'm scared for my friend to just pour this out and then just pray like this. 
We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty. I want you to know, in the midst of this mess, the book of Revelation is declaring God is the Pontecrator. I just love the Greek word. He's the Pontecrator. He's the all, Pont is all. He's the powerful one that holds everything in his grasp. And in the end, he's got it under control. I love it. In the early church, I can just see these precious Asian believers just getting down their face when they read this book. And they said, man, Domitian, this, this emperor, thinks that he's the Pontecrator. And these precious believers says, baloney on that. We've got a great king. He's the almighty one. And we need some people that believe, man, he's almighty in the business world. He's almighty in the educational system. He's almighty to change lives. Man, and some men in some prayer meetings I've been in this week, there were some school teachers. They didn't break any government rules. There was a, a young woman that had wandered away, gone away from her home, and was in a really bad situation up in Dallas. And some school teachers just got together and said, man, let's just pray that the Lord will bring that precious student home. Pray that the Lord will get her out of that situation. They specifically prayed, dear Lord, bring that woman home. Bring that precious student that we love home. The very next day, they got word. At that very time, the student had called one of the relatives in their family and came back home. That's what the Almighty can do. That's the incredible thing that our great king can do. And I want you to realize that that's incredibly thrilling to be able to begin to enter into the rule of God because he's the one who is and who was. I want you to, what's missing in that title for God as these elders are praising and worshiping? All the way through the book of Revelation we've had, he's the one who is and who was and who will come. You know why it doesn't say that he will come now? Because Revelation 11 is declaring he's here, man. He's here. All the way through the book we've had, he's the one who was in the past, he's the one who is, is in the present church age, and he's the one that will come at the culmination of history. What the book of Revelation chapter 11 is declaring is, that time has now come. As we go through the rest of the book, God is present and alive on planet Earth. That's what we're going to be learning. And we're going to find out that he's going to come with incredible power. The angels now declare, man, we don't have to talk about the God that's going to come, that will come in the future, because he's now arrived. And he has begun to reign. Because you have taken your great power, and you've begun to reign. Now, how do the nations respond to this? What's going to happen in the tribulation period? Like, as we study what's really going to be the last three and a half years of the tribulation period, this is kind of the crisis of the end of history, what does the scripture reveal is going to happen? It says the nations are going to be angry. I want you to know there's going to be tremendous hostility. The nations were angry and you're, because your wrath has come. The time for judging the dead, we're going to have the judging of the dead. You say, well, Dave, what is the judging of the dead? You are not the dead if you know Jesus as your Savior. If you know Jesus as your Savior, you're not one of the dead. The Bible never views you as being dead. You are asleep in Christ, which means that your personality instantaneously goes home to be with the Lord. Jesus said to the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. Paul said to be absent from the body is not to sleep until the rapture. He says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So you're not the dead. The Lord never looks upon his children as the dead. In fact, he says, if you believe that I'm the resurrection and the life, you'll never die. You know why Jesus says that? Because if you know Christ as your Savior, your personality will be snatched 
and taken to be with your father. In fact, there's many strong Bible teachers that take Jesus' words very literally. If you believe that he's the resurrection and the life, that you'll never die. He that liveth and believeth in me shall never die. They hold that before Satan's able to take the physical life of a believer and experience the curse of physical death, many teachers are teaching now that instantaneously, before that happens, a believer is home with the Lord. So that one of Jesus' children doesn't even experience the destruction of their physical body. Their personality is taken out and taken to live with the Lord. And then we look forward in the great rapture when the Lord gives us a new body. Your greatest enemy that so many of you are afraid of. When it comes time for you to make the transition between this life and the next, you're not going to be dead. I want you to understand that. You're going to be more alive than you could ever imagine. You could think of the most scintillating, exciting, most loving, most precious, most perfect, most exhilarating moment you've ever had in life. Multiply it a billion times, and you haven't come close to what your loving Savior has got in store for you. You're not the dead. You are the saints. These dead in the book of Revelation, you say the book of Revelation, the dead, like when we have the great white throne judgment, it talks about the body of the dead being raised from the sea and, you know, God getting all the whatever, the miracle he does and bringing all the parts together, whatever he's going to do. It talks about this massive gathering, but all the dead that face him, the books are open and they're judged righteously. And the book's going to close and it's going to talk. It's going to talk about a great white throne judgment, the judgment of the dead. If you know Christ as your Savior, you're not the dead. And if you don't know Christ, the Lord doesn't want you to be the dead. The Lord wants you to become the alive. And right where you're sitting, as you listen to us in this message, right where you're sitting, you can realize that Jesus can make me alive. If you'll just invite him to come into your life, you won't be dead. You'll be alive forevermore. And all you need to do is just admit to him that you've been part of this world system. You've been part of sin. That in your own heart are the seeds of arrogance and pride. That the wages of that sin is death. And just right where you're sitting, you just say, Lord Jesus, you died for me. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. If you really will believe that in your heart, it's a miracle. But just like that, you'll be born again into God's family. It's really about meeting this real Jesus. And just admitting to him what you are without him, a sinner. And then just inviting him to come into your life. You can do that anytime, any place. If you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, we want you to know that one of, the, one of the greatest desires we have for you is we don't want you to be dead. We want you to come alive with Jesus. So you'll never have to be judged with the dead. The time has come for judging the dead. But also the time has come for rewarding your servants, the prophets. As we said in the book of Revelation... The book of Revelation has introduced to us the prophet Daniel and all the predictions he made. It introduced the prophets Jeremiah. They introduces the prophets Ezekiel. What John is underscoring, there's going to come a day when those prophets are rewarded. All the New Testament prophets, John the Apostle would consider himself one of these prophets. And the words of John are going to be rewarded. And what it means by that is God's one day going to bring, I could picture him bringing the Apostle John up. And all the hosts of heaven will be there. And say, I breathe through this precious Apostle John when he was in his 80s and 90s on the island of Patmos. And aren't you thrilled that he told the truth? Can you imagine what heaven's going to sound like when the Lord rewards the Apostle John for faithfully writing down what he told him to write down? The same thing can happen for you as you respond in obedience to this Apostle. Then you enter in because that's why it says for rewarding the saints. That's you. You say, Dave, I'm not a saint. Oh, yes, you are. 
A saint is just a set apart, a holy one that's for the Lord. And then it closes by saying, And those who reverence your name, both small and great, for destroying those who destroy the earth. What an incredible picture. It's saying that there's going to come a day when God's going to divide. You have those that were his prophets, those that responded to the message of the prophets in faith that became saints, then a big general category. That's when all those that will reverence the Lord, they're all going to be rewarded. They're all going to face the great celebration of eternal heaven. And over here, those that are part of the kingdom of this world are going to be destroyed and no longer will this world be destroyed, but we're going to have a new heaven and new earth. And you have to decide. You have to decide which world you're going to invest in, which world you're going to live in. That's the challenge this week. Will I live for the kingdom of this world with all the chaos and all the murderous violence, with the immorality, with all we're going to learn about? We're going to learn a whole lot about the kingdom of the world when we talk about Revelation 17 and 18. What it's about, it's materialism, it's arrogance, it's beauty, it's splendor, and yet it's ultimate destruction. You're going to have to decide, am I going to live for that? Or am I going to live for the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. What I want to believe, what I want to pray is, Lord, the kingdom of this world, it has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. I'm a guerrilla, a guerrilla warrior for Jesus. Right now, I'm living behind enemy lines, representing the eternal kingdom of God. But instead of having an automatic M16 in my hand, I've got the living, life-giving word of God. I'm a guerrilla to bring life. That's what I want you to think of yourself this week. I want you to go out this week thinking of yourself as I'm like a paratrooper that was dropped behind enemy lines. Only I've been dropped not to destroy the enemy with bullets of death. But I've been dropped behind enemy lines to try to rescue as many of the enemy as I can by being you to the Spirit of God to get them to respond to the ultimate King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The book of Revelation is challenging us, just like John did back in the first century. It's challenging us to become guerrillas to bring the life-giving message of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the seventh trumpet. And I thank you that it's declared that there's already been victory. Some moms and dads are having serious talks with their kids, with young people about the great cataclysms that our society is going through. And fear can begin to grip our hearts. And I pray, Lord, that Revelation chapter 11, the sounding of the seventh trumpet, would quiet our fears. I pray, Lord, that our worship of you would move us to a great influx of eternal reality and the power of of what this message is really about. Lord, we never want it to be said of our study of your word that we have a form of godliness or we have an intellectualized faith but we don't know its power. And I want to ask you, Lord, that your precious Holy Spirit now would cause the power of Revelation 11, the seventh trumpet, to reach out. I'd ask you, Lord, that you would help us to take the truths we've learned about the seventh seal, about the coming kingdom that's going to change this world, and help us to live obedient to it and represent it to our friends. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.